Thank you for coming Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am so excited to be here for our fifth season of the Thank You For Coming Out podcast. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You For Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it. And it is now one of the longest running queer improv shows in New York City. During that show, our storytellers share their coming out stories and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have a storyteller share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I am super thrilled and excited about my guest here with me today. Sage Cassell Rosenberg, also known as King Femme, identifies as non-binary and queer and uses they, he pronouns. With a keen interest in topics such as gender, sexuality, resilience, and mental health, they've turned their social media into a safe haven for those looking to explore themselves in their gender and sexuality. They currently are also the program manager for Jews of Color at Keshet, which is a Jewish nonprofit that focuses on the advocacy and support for LGBTQ plus inclusion and equality. Sage, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yes, thank you so much for being here. I'm I'm so excited. You know, it's like when I first found you on social media, I was drawn to your energy and all of the work that you do. And then it was like a double cool thing that you started working at Keshet where I was for five years. <laughs> no, I, I honestly, I love the kind of Jewish interconnectivity that can happen. Like it feels like so. I found almost like accidentally so many, I don't know if it's maybe me or something, whatever, but like I seem to have gravitated towards a lot of other queer Jews and just have built this like really lovely, like queer Jewish chosen family. And it just, it makes me so happy. <laughs> yeah. And is that through the work at Keshet or Instagram or, or both? Um, honestly, it just seems to be a combination of everything. I, I started at Keshet about two months ago, so I'm still like, you know, settling into a newer environment. But it's even down to like my husband. Um, we both didn't know that we were Jewish until like our second or third date when I offered him a piece of bacon. And mm. oh, don't tell my bubby. But yeah, and he I offered <laughs> the bacon he said oh I actually don't eat bacon I'm like oh why he's like oh I'm actually Jewish I'm like I'm Jewish and then yeah I ended up finding myself a nice Jewish boy accidentally <laughs> well I love that that's so cute <laughs> um how's it going at Keshet it is going like absolutely phenomenally um I keep on telling people that even if I didn't get the job just seeing the job listing for a program manager for Jews of color at a Jewish LGBT organization, which just heals so much of like my own inner trauma, my own younger self that would have loved to know that this role existed. So just the fact that like it exists makes me so beyond happy. But the fact that I get to be the person doing this work, ugh. I'm quelling. And just to translate, that's Yiddish for just being like, I'm fangirling over my own job. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, so, so incredible. I had such a, a similar experience when I started there. I, the, the job posting was for like a program associate. And I think it was probably meant for someone, you know, like just starting their career. And I was in my mid thirties or early thirties, I guess. And was already in a career and they were like, are you sure you want this? And I like cried through every interview and I was like, I need this. Like similar to what you're saying, like so much healing happened in those five years of being surrounded by queer Jews and feeling seen and safe most of the time. And um, just, it was like, it was life-changing. And so I'm so happy that you get to experience this this like collective communal healing through the work. Yeah. And it's also just so cool. Cause like looking at my work calendar, like I'm just seeing that like pretty much actually, I think so far this week at least, or it's Tuesday, but also last week, mm -hmm. um, every single day I got the opportunity to meet and talk with queer Jews of color. Like it's one of those things where um, I I've told people my job and the most popular response is an entire department for queer Jews of color. You mean there's more than just one of you? Mm -hmm. And while I understand the idea of all these identities I have and the intersection 
intersection of being a person of color who is trans and who is also like queer and Jewish and all of these things together. I know that sometimes that could be a lot for someone because they're like, oh, I didn't even think that a person like you can exist. But what I've been saying is that the need for support for LGBT Jews of color is not a new need. It's a historic one. Because mm-hmm. if we're thinking about it, um, Jews are all over the world. We come, we're so diverse. We are so much more than maybe what the media presents us to be, which is this very uniformed, uh, white looking, um, typically Ashkenaz, which is a sect of Judaism, et cetera, et cetera. But we are being found all over the world. So then if we also know that we're all over the world and the statistics for uh the likelihood of someone being lgbt i think it's either like one in five one in three i forget what it is then that paints the fact that this is a need that's an under that's so needed because it's an underrepresented and underserved community. So there's a lot of wonderful organizations who are doing work for Jews of color specifically, but I'm very proud to say that my actual role is for specifically Jews of color who are also LGBT, who are like, it's, it's pretty, I I think it might be the first of its kind, which is just so exciting because I'm just, I'm I'm loving being able to create community for folks who might historically have lacked that, have lacked that sense of belonging, have lacked feeling like they have the capability to navigate spaces as their authentic self. So that's why so much of the work that I do, even outside of the work that I do within the Jewish community, really is just kind of like uplifting other people's stories, not just my own, and making sure that folks know that like, there is so many ways to be Jewish. There's so many ways to be trans. There's so many ways to be queer. There's so many ways to just be a person. And there needs to be more room and services and resources for everyone who falls within any spectrum or identity. Amen to that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, yeah, just it resonates so much with what you said around uplifting people's stories. That's what that's what this podcast is. That's what thank you for coming out was born from of of sharing our stories and getting to create with other queer folks and so um yeah it's just it's this work you know I, the way that i think about it is like we are we are in the especially this particular moment in time is like we are living and creating history like we are mm-hmm. it, it feels particularly salient because of all of the anti trans and lgbtq uh, bills being introduced and passed, um, like uplifting joy and uplifting our stories to kind of counterbalance those really tough things that you know are in, inundating news cycles and social media. Um, so it's just uh, it's, it makes me happy that you that you are also now in a position, or not not that you weren't before, but an, another position. Um, to get to engage and build community um, and uplift people's stories. It's awesome. So speaking of stories, mm-hmm. uh, we all have multiple coming out stories and multiple coming into ourselves stories. And so I invite you to share one of those moments with us here now, please. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> I feel like there's so many, like, because again, as queer people, we know that coming out is not one. There's like maybe possibly one memory of coming out that feels the most like oh maybe that's the first time you did it or it was something where it was to your parents or anyone you're related to you so it might feel especially vulnerable so it's something where like oh yeah that is the age that I came out but like as someone who's kind of maneuvered almost every letter within you know our acronym um, it's something where coming out has happened multiple times for me but I think something that I kind of paint as being my coming into myself moment was me kind of coming into my drag persona in the first place um outside of being called uh you know sage Cassell rosenberg as you mentioned i also go by my instagram and a plat um what's called stage name king femme and it was something that was funny because i people always ask like oh you know like how did you like get into drag how did you figure that out that you wanted to do that and it's funny because drag kind of actually chose me um this was one of the first possibly yeah, no, no, this was the second queer event that I had ever been to my entire life. I won't mention what age I was because I wasn't old enough to be where I was. Um, <laughs> however, uh, I was uh, above the age of 18, so we're fine. <laughs> um, right. So I was just dancing, having a great time, living as my authentic self after living in, uh, I, I would call the religious bubble that I was in that 
I, I didn't try McDonald's till the age of 18. So that can paint a picture for other things that I might not have been around quite yet. But being in a queer scene, I was just so elated having the best time of my life and just dancing like I don't know if nobody was watching was the correct way of saying it. But <laughs> I was dancing my little queer heart out. Um, next thing I know, um, it was a drag performance that was happening and during the entire night. And one of the drag queens, or actually both of them, um, who were like the MC slash host for it, Carla Kirketa, I'm going to go ahead and give a shout out because I absolutely adore her, um, came up to me and said, hi, you are awesome. Would you like to be a drag king? This, I was, I, I'll just say my, I was 19. And at the time I didn't, again, I was just watching, seeing a drag performance for like my second time. There's just so many new things for me. And I knew that I was a trans mask person and I didn't realize that there was less rules than I thought to being trans mask, if any at all. And when they said, hey, would you want to be a drag king? My first thing that I said was, I can't be a drag king, I'm trans. That to this, both of them just started cackling. They're like, oh, honey, we need to take you to the back room. Almost everyone is trans. Mm. And that was one of those moments where I was like, huh, I don't think I wanted you drag, but I want the story of the one time that I did drag. Like, I just wanted that kind of like little check mark as like a little random thing that I did that I could tell later in life. Um, but then that just turned into what I do now and it's actually how my social media platform has gone to where it is it started off by doing drag and has definitely evolved to me finding my own voice but through my drag persona it's funny I look back and I there was this one moment where I was doing like I was trying to find a picture of myself to show like my facial hair growth and I just thought it would be funny I was like oh it'd be funny if I show like my old dragging photo and I looked and I realized the exact way that I painted my facial hair on in drag before I could grow facial hair on testosterone is now shaped exactly how my facial hair grows. I had a little goatee and I had a like little thin mustache and that's exactly what I'm capable of rocking right now. <laughs> We're working on getting a beard, but that's it. But it was so fun because crafting my drag persona, I realized that I, cause this was at a time when people like they, now I get read as male, like literally like probably like 99.9% of the time I'm non-binary, but I'm very comfortable with that being how I've read. I'm very comfortable with people reading me as a more feminine male. If that's how they're seeing me, that's how I prefer it as well. But before people were able to see me as that, I, it was weird. Cause it's something where like when I first came out as trans, People, unless I told them I was trans, assumed I was a butch woman. And I've just never associated with butchness. I always associated with being femme. That's who I am. And it's interesting that through taking testosterone, now all of a sudden, even though this is the most masculine I've ever looked, this is the most feminine that anyone has ever perceived me to be. Because prior to, people read me as butch. And it felt like through being king femme, I was able to actually, like I could be the like the feminine, masculine, even though that sounds like an oxymoron, but that's exactly who I am. Person I was on stage, I was able to like wear makeup, but also have facial hair at the same time. I could perform to 50 cents with uh, like eyelashes and hair extension if I wanted to, because drag is whatever I wanted. And I feel like through that, I gained the confidence of realizing that gender is exactly what I want it to be. Gender is our own, each personal experience. It's up to us to be able to customize what that looks like for us. There is no rule book to being trans. There is no rule book to being a cis person. There's just, well, I mean, as long as you're respecting trans folks, there's some rules in regard mm -hmm. to that. But other than that, like gender expression is whatever you want it to be. And I think through doing drag and being uh, specifically around a lot of just wonderful and powerful trans femmes who I think it really have shaped our community more than anybody else in terms of the things that we do, I was able to realize that there was so much room for me to be able to craft a queer expression of myself that was as closely as I possibly could get to who I felt I was in the inside. Fast forward now me about like two and a half years uh, consistently on tea. Uh, I've been able to kind of just really be the person that I always wanted to be. But specifically, I brought my drag persona to life. I now just walk my everyday. I don't have to wear any makeup, but I feel that King Femme origin story of who like I am now and who I am there. And it just feels so wonderful that I get to just walk the world as myself. <laughs> yeah, that's such a, that's, it's such a 
a privilege, I think, to be, to get to walk the world as oneself and feel confident and feel comfortable. Um, so that makes me so happy to hear that. So much of what you shared resonates deeply. And um, I specifically, I'm going to try to figure out how to say this, um, which is like, and, and correct me if I'm, if I'm misspeaking, but as you were, as you were coming into your uh, like more masculine uh, gender expression and gender identity and, and through tea and through just other ways of expressing yourself kind of gave you the freedom to be more feminine. Is that right? I yeah. feel very similar to that, where when I was read as a woman 30 plus years of my life, more than that, actually. Um, and, you know, because that's not who I am, that always that felt icky. It felt wrong. Um, and then as I've um, been lucky and privileged to be able to access hormone therapy um, and I do, I'm also working very hard on a beard, but my hair is so much. <laughs> um, it, it has allowed me to embrace the more feminine side of me and that kind of like incongruence, um, is like, uh, shrinking, but it's more like an internal thing. Like I still don't want to be misgendered. I still don't want people to think I'm a gender that I'm not, but to get to like, do say certain things or like use like to stop um, monitoring like certain, um, what are the words? What's gestures and mannerisms what are, that our society has equated to more femme, um, which has always been a part of who I am. Now I feel like I'm rambling, but does, it, does this make sense? Does it, like, I just, I relate so oh. much to what you said. That I'm like, no, yes, no, 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 exactly. 100%. <laughs> no, I, I feel that. And I also do want to recognize like the privileged mm -hmm. component of the things that I'm saying, because in a hundred percent, like I think me as being a person of color who is also trans, which is so many different identities that put me at a disadvantage to other people and also place me sometimes not within the realms of safety. Uh, people often like look at me kind of weird when I say I'm a highly privileged person. Like I am a hundred percent highly privileged. Yes, I am black. Yes, I am trans, but I am still very highly privileged in the way that I operate the world, the way that, yes, I came from a very religious upbringing, but my family was really great. I feel very loved and accepted. I have had been able to have access to hormones. I am able to, one, also navigate the streets with a certain level of safety. Like, yes, sometimes when as appearing to cis folks as someone who they think is just a gay male, when I'm extra femme, sometimes like the level of safety I feel is lower. I still know that I am operating at a lot, I don't know, just operating with a lot more privilege and safety than folks who aren't able to medically transition and people are paying even more attention to them, to trans femmes specifically who are most likely to face violence. And I think that it's really important. I'm really grateful that you brought up that privilege component because I think it's really important that we all kind of recognize the ways that we might operate the world with privilege in order to be better allies to those who are also within our community. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I think about those intersections daily, if not more often around, um, you know, in holding that there are some, you know, there are some situations or moments where I am highly privileged. And even in the, even in the moments where I am not privileged, I still am privileged just simply because I'm white. And I think that like, that just, that's just a, it's a, it's a privilege. And so I, I and I can still face discrimination and feel unsafe in situations. And it's a lot of just um, like reconciling of what that means and how do I show up in spaces um, as an ally when I'm also being disadvantaged, but also advantaged. It is, it is something I think about all the time. Yeah. Um, so you, so you, um, you mentioned a, that you've not had McDonald's, you didn't have McDonald's till you were 18 and that you were also, um, in, you grew up in a very religious family. How, um, I want to talk to you about that around like, um, how did, if at all growing up in, in a religious setting influence like your identity and the way that you move through the world now? 
Definitely. So for a little bit further, like context for when I say that I was raised religious. So I was specifically raised within the modern Orthodox Jewish community. Uh, For those who might not be familiar with what modern Orthodoxy means, it means that it's within Judaism, there's different sects and there's different ways to uh, people can interpret the Torah or what things they end up feeling like are obligations and what things they don't. The way that I was raised was very strict and very, um, I would say, by the book for what the Torah said and uh, to the letter which also included very, it's not mentioned necessarily specifically in the Torah for um, AFAB folks, it's more focused on AMAB, but there are very, very strict gender expectations and also just rules in general within the uh, or modern Orthodox and up community within Judaism. And what this looked like was growing up, I um, really, I, I think in once I got older than the age of maybe like, nine or 10, I I didn't wear pants. Um, I only wore skirts. Uh, That was what I was expected to wear. Um, At my school specifically, my skirts had to be below my knee. Uh, So no cute mini skirts, which I think would have been sickening. And maybe in high school, I did occasionally roll them up so they looked like mini skirts. And then if teachers walked by, I'd roll them down. <laughs> uh, but I also had to do things like making sure that I didn't, I wasn't wearing sleeveless shirts. Um, in one of the schools I was at, I had to have my shirt cover my elbows specifically. Um, and this was something that boys weren't expected to do. There are within Judaism, this is something that's not commonly talked out, but there is modesty rules for men as well. And you will see that in the garments they wear. But within Judaism, further than that, there's like different, um, like, for instance, on Shabbat, which is, you know, the Sabbath, um, you know, women are expected to light candles, uh, do the household things. The men go to uh, services and they um, and at services, there's this thing called a mechitza, which is a, a essentially a barrier uh, slash uh, think of a fence, essentially, if I had to make it in like a more like so you can picture it way. There's a fence that quite literally in services where uh, I went where women are supposed to sit on one side, men are supposed to sit on the other. So as a non-binary person, the mechitza was both a literal and figurative thing that I realized I was, I was that fence. I was that in between these two things. And it was something that also made it very difficult for me to figure out that I was trans because it was something where, you know, I, I resented uh, most of my friends growing up were typically um, boys. I, I felt more kinship. I felt more comfortable. Um, and I, it was something where um, looking at it, it was, I wasn't, I, I knew that there was a lot of things I resented that I couldn't do because I was being read. I was socialized as female. And, but then there wasn't this complete wish to be a man. There wasn't this complete wish to be a boy. Like sometimes there were times where I was like, oh, it would be really nice if I was a boy right now because I could play on the same team as all my friends. So that was something that was happening. But there wasn't so much like this, I need to be male. And I think because, again, I was in my own, you know, religious bubble. I didn't know any queer people. I didn't know any trans people, certainly. When I was figuring out like or one that I was just looking into what trans was and it started off I was like why am I so obsessed with trans people and I thought in my own head I was like oh I'm just very attracted to them and it actually was both I'm very attracted to them but I'm also one of them kind of thing and I was just but it was something that when I was seeing it um, all I was really seeing was binary trans man like binary trans men who talked about how much they just wanted to be read as men and specifically i think at the time um i've been out as trans for like close to a decade i want to say now um so it's something where at the time i saw less non-binary representation so i also just didn't think that's who i was once i started learning what non-binary was that word i was like oh that's what it is but i am going to kind of loop back a little bit before was that going back to my kind of like the Jewish thing where I felt this conflict for what was expected of me versus who I was. I often say that what was expected of me felt like I was playing a role and I wasn't actually entering into services as my authentic self. I love being Jewish. I love being culturally Jewish. I love going, doing Jewish things. But when I felt this role that I had to play of good Jewish girl being, I I felt a lot of anxiety about if I wasn't, what would that mean for my family? What would that mean for how people interpreted my family? I was just so worried about like bringing shame that I also just was not present. I started just mentally checking out. Um, And one of my proudest achievements, and it always sounds strange to people, was actually dropping out of high school. 
The high school I went to was super homogeneously, mostly white. I faced a lot of racism. I faced, uh, there was no queer representation. There was no openly queer people. There was just me. I know I started coming out, um, I think initially as a lesbian when I was like 16 or 17, but it was very hush hush. But it was something where I could not exist as my authentic self. I could not, and I dreaded every single day. And I basically almost, I, I was very close to not making it out of their life. So it was something that dropping out of high school was what marked me coming into my trans self. It also marked when I kind of popped the bubble for this little, quite literal religious bubble that I was in and learning what was outside of the world, but also like how I can navigate the world as all of my identities, not just, oh, I can only be trans, which means I can't be Jewish. I can only be Jewish and I can't be queer. And just realizing I could be all of those things combined came into, like, happened through me first coming out as a lesbian and being in my first queer relationship. And within that, I'm sorry, I don't mean to ramble for too long, but yeah, within that relationship, uh, what happened was that I was the more masculine one out of the two of us. And I got so much joy out of it. And it's funny because I was looking back and I'm now married to a cis man. We've been uh, together for six years. So <laughs> that's something that's also has changed. But I look back and I try to figure out, I was like, well, why did I think I was ever a lesbian? And I realized it was because I wasn't, attra- it wasn't that I wasn't attracted to men. I wasn't attracted to how men saw me. I wasn't attracted to being the role, again, the role of girlfriend. You know, I wasn't attracted to being seen as a woman during sex. That's something that would just have me mentally completely checked out. So the first time that I was in a queer relationship where there wasn't, it felt like I was the more masculine person. And of course, my authentic self that didn't know that I was non-binary yet was, you know, lighting up, ears were perking, being like, is it my time? Is it my time? And within that, I felt so much euphoria off of seeing it that all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, this must be who I am. But through the safety of being in a queer relationship for the first time and being able to explore my own gender queerness, because I don't want to just inherently label it as masculinity. I put on a button down shirt. A button down shirt doesn't have to be inherently masculine, but it was me expressing my queer identity. I was able to realize, I was like, oh, this is what it is. And then the moment I came out as non-binary, all of a sudden I'm like, so men are looking kind of cute. Specifically the Justin Bieber, what do you mean video came out where he had this amazing, very lesbian coded haircut. (laughs) And (laughs) that just all of a sudden just like opened a lot of doors for me mentally. (laughs) Yeah. I, gosh, I want to, I just want to like side note here, uh, how much joy I'm feeling having this conversation with you because it is so, you know, this, we are in our fifth season and I have the privilege of getting to talk to all different kinds of LGBTQIA plus people. And every conversation I have makes me feel so happy and excited to be in community with other queer and trans people. And just, just hearing, hearing what you're saying, um, I relate to so deeply that it 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 truly just is such a feeling of belonging and I just so thank you for sharing and uh, it sounds like I'm ending the episode I'm not I'm just I, just, <laughs> I like I like can't move forward without acknowledging how special it is to get to um share in these moments with each other I mean what I think is also spectacular spectacular is that we don't know. We don't really know each other. We're we're Instagram friends, <laughs> but even even so, there's so much that I relate to in your story, and I just think just that shared, those shared experiences in humanity are are so special. So I had to say that before we moved on, and I'm just I'm thinking about um, so much of what you said around like when you were younger saying, well, if I were a boy, I could do X, Y, Z. And, you know, in hindsight, I had those same thoughts of like, you know, if I were a boy, I, you know, this was also based in stereotype of like, if I were a boy, I wouldn't care to get dirty, which is like silly, but like (laughs) it was my brain's um, way of trying to negotiate gender with myself. And um I just, and it just such a similar moment of learning, of knowing that I wasn't a trans man. I'm not a trans man, but also like the instant of learning that non-binary and genderqueer people exist and that existed, like cracked my world wide open. I was like, just like you said, oh, that's what it is. Like, that's exactly what I was like. Oh, 
well, now everything literally makes sense. <laughs> like, it's so profound. Yeah. No, it's something where it's like, I, I think it's interesting because there's such a rhetoric right now that the exposure of the fact that these labels exist is what's causing people to come out as trans and non-binary. But the thing is, I always had these feelings. The term mm -hmm. non-binary just gave me a word to encompass all of these feelings that I felt like I had nowhere to put them. Because it was all of these things where I was like, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with my gender, but I don't want to be, again, at the time I viewed it as the opposite gender. Now I know it's more of a spectrum. Mm -hmm. and, but I was like, I don't want to be a boy, but what are these feelings? So I, at growing up, like always have all of these memories of all the time that I look back and I realize I was feeling social gender dysphoria in terms of operating spaces socially as a gender. And looking back, I'm like, yeah, that was just very non-binary coded childhood you know <laughs> yeah i do i do know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> and something else that i um like am deeply relating to is um like in romantic or emotional or sexual relationships um like not wanting to be read as the woman and so it turned me off from really kind of pursuing or thinking about being in relationship with cis men. And as I've been, and this is something that is, is, is pretty common, I, and which is when folks start taking testosterone or, or socially or medically or um, legally transitioning, um, like that attraction grows and it, it starts to encompass genders that I never thought that I would have attraction <laughs> towards. And it's wild and it's for the same reason that you said for me, which is not being read as a woman, but being but being able to be in relationship with um, other genders as my own gender. And mm. that's so significant. Um, and I love that we share that. It's just, it's cool. No, it is indeed. <laughs> No, I actually, I, I forget where I read this. And again, I did not look into the studies. I don't know the findings or anything of that. So I can't spew any statistics for you or any academic stuff. But the it was an interesting approach to the why for this. Like this, what is the trans experience of going on hormones and then all of a sudden becoming like, like queer once again, because I know so many specifically also binary trans men who were only like went from being, uh, you know, out as a lesbian to just being a straight man. And then all of a sudden being like, okay, um, I'm feeling a little fruity. I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, yeah, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that this, um, I think it was an article that I read, hopefully not just the headline, but <laughs> the thing that was saying pretty much that um, the, it, it's essentially like our brains, some of us are just have like, queer rooted brains like that is our sexuality is we're attracted to things that are like queer sex queer people queer this and that the moment that you know again we might be okay I I used to identify as a cis woman and now I am not that part of myself that still wanted for instance like lesbian relationships were very attractive to me because again it was it was gay for me and you know what I mean like I still view that as being gay for me now everyone is gay for liking me <laughs> yep 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 um, but it was something that, again, with being the gender that I actually was, and then that meaning that sleeping with men was still very queer coded, you know what I mean? That was something that I think just resonated with my brain. And again, wherever I saw this, I was like, when I read it, I was like, oh, that's interesting to think of it as maybe like our brains just always are like in terms of the sex that we find gratifying or the people that we're interested in being still like navigate slash gravitate towards like queer centric things that our brain then when we're like feeling and that we are seen and comfortable enough in ourselves, which again, testosterone or just even coming out can do for folks ends up making it that we find so many other people attractive because all of a sudden that also looks like a queer relationship. <laughs> or exactly. queer interaction <laughs> yes 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 all of that um i think about this too a lot which was before i understood my trans identity um you know identified as a lesbian very rarely use that word to identify myself because i didn't i never saw myself as a lesbian per se but would so i used the word gay and you know it would also I guess dabble in using the word lesbian just because it felt like I wanted to fit in and my yeah. other friends were lesbians and re relate so deeply to like lesbian culture. So like Lilith Fair and Birkenstock, you know, like the, like the, the major <laughs> stereotypes, 
but I'm like, that was, that was actually a big part of how I grew up was like in those settings. Um, and so I feel a deep, uh, love for those, um, moments. And I had a, I had a, um, a friend say they have a t-shirt that says lesbian alumni and, or lesbian alum. And I'm like, I fucking need that shirt so bad because I think it's so oh, funny. I have so many friends <laughs> who I need to buy that for. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hanukkah presents picked out. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. It's like, I would wear this shirt with such pride and pleasure and amusement. Um, so, okay. So I'm going to shift gears slightly, but not really at all, which is you posted a video recently on your Instagram about transition anxiety. Mm. And, um, well, before I share my, my feelings, are you comfortable just sharing like what you spoke about in that video? Definitely. Um, so what I was talking about on the video, and this was something that like I had posted it from my TikTok because there was a TikTok comment. Uh, I had made like a video pretty much acknowledging the fact that this is actually not my first time on tea. This is my third time on tea. And someone was like asking because I said, oh, I hope this time on testosterone works is what I said. And someone just commented back this time. And I realized that it was something that, again, like I forget that a lot of my followers haven't been here since the beginning of my life. So they're not going to know my entire journey. Um, and I realized I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't know if I've talked so much on my TikTok about the fact that I've been on tea multiple times this is the longest I've been on it I've been on it now close to two years and it's felt absolutely just so right I feel so comfortable it's funny because it used to be when I was on T, like at the beginning or even before that I was like every single month it's kind of like when you're in a new relationship like month anniversaries and then I'm six years in like I we I do not have the capacity to celebrate everything (laughs) but that's kind of how I felt with T in general now especially with this like lack of anxiety that I feel and I'll touch on that a little bit more. Um, It feels like time is passing in a way that just feels like not marked by the fact that I'm on testosterone, but it just feels right that I'm on testosterone. However, I, the first time I was on TI, I'm 25 now. Um, I started when I was 18 uh, or actually, no, I was 19. Um, And then I went on it again when I was, I think, 21. Um, first time that I was on tea, I was on it for about, uh, I think, nine or 10 months. Second time, a little bit under a year. This time around is two years. And uh, people have asked me before, like, is it, are you sure tea is the right decision? This is like, you know, you're doing this again. And it's something where I am so completely sure that it's the right decision. I like to say, and this is what I said in the video, it wasn't that I didn't want to be on tea. I wasn't psychologically ready to be on tea. I was continuously getting into my own head about what it meant to medically transition. Because again, it's not something we're medically transitioning in terms of being on hormones is something that like other people can observe after a certain point that you look different than you used to. And doing something so publicly and in a way that like, I can't just, oh, like, because it became less and less easy to continuously hide the fact that I was transitioning. And that was the reason why the other two times I stopped was because I was about to be at that point where, oh, just shaving doesn't hide it. You know what I mean? Or just doing this doesn't hide it. And I was like, okay, well, once I cross that barrier, like there's no going back, which again, there also is you, the transitioning can look like whatever you want. But again, I let the pressures of society get in the way of making decisions that made me happy, that made me authentic. And essentially what I did was I just, I catered towards other people's comfort levels and did not center whatsoever what would actually make me happy. And I think that looking back, I'm so grateful that I did stop taking tea when I did because again yes it is the right decision for me but if I'm not psychologically ready then it is not the right time you know what I mean it's something where I think folks sometimes feel like a pressure to do things in a certain like linear way or viewing transitioning as a linear activity where okay I come out I get my binder or whatever gender affirming clothing piece x anything etc I go on hormones I get top surgery I do this I do that that and then I'm arrived. I'm I'm the gender that I am. And I just want to really make space for people to understand that one, it's okay to have doubts, explore them, take time, sit with yourself, get to know yourself, get to know what you feel comfortable with, get to know what makes you feel comfortable. And I am just, even though sometimes I look and I'm like, oh, it would be great if I could just say I was like, again, if I was 19, I'm not going to do the math, but it's over. It's like, 
six years. I'd love to be six years on T right now. Eventually I will be six years on T, but I will also have done it when I was ready to do it. Yes. The, the, um, lots of things are coming up as you're sharing, as you were sharing. One is, uh, trusting trans people to know what's right for us and right for our bodies. Um, is, is I feel like that's such an, that's so, so in question right now, um, from folks who are proposing all of those, uh, I would say like deadly legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, any, in any kind of, uh, workshop or any kind of anything that I teach, I always make sure to talk about what you just said, which is it's nonlinear and there's no one right way. It's not a straight line. It's whatever feels comfortable for that person is what they do. And it could include no medical intervention. Um, for me, I, I so also just relating so much to what you were saying around not feeling psychologically ready. I had top surgery in 2016 and didn't start testosterone until 2020 because even, even, um, and I, and I came out as genderqueer at 29. So, which was, I don't know, I'm 38 now. So whatever that math is. Um, and through all of that, I just wasn't ready for testosterone because for the exact reasons you said of, and I, and also I couldn't reconcile it because I was like, well, I had top surgery, which is like a huge, mm-hmm. huge major surgery and intervention. And even that felt more uh, like in reach and more um, safe to have than testosterone because testosterone, like you said, there are these like very visible changes like voice dropping and beard growing and my hair is receding, which I'm very sad about but it just is is what it is and i definitely have those moments where i'm like i wish that i would have just done it from the beginning because then i would be 10 years on t um but to your point i wasn't ready and i wasn't ready until i was ready and then i was ready um one of the one of the things um that helped me was i don't know if you know this but zoom has these like filters of facial hair so like yes um, I haven't, I haven't tried it in a minute, but, um, you can, when you go to like, when you do like virtual backgrounds or what have you, they also have video filters and, um, they have like goatees and let's see. Um, okay. Um, I'm currently, I'm looking for it now too. And I wonder if they got rid of it. No, oh no! So I I see a fish in her one, but I would have. Oh, I, oh I'm trying it on. A, oh yes, you're doing it. It's studio effects. Yeah, yeah. So hey, I have a little monopoly mustache for anyone who <laughs> can't see. I look fantastic. Okay, also, so <laughs> yeah. So I have the I have the Blaze Royale, which is like a mustache and like the chin, whatever you call that thing, right you under the it. bottom lip, and then so. So getting to play with different facial hair on Zoom actually was really helpful for me to like get to to envision what it would look like. Um, and it was really helpful. I was like, okay, I, I'm ready now. I can do this. And I also just, I don't think I, I named it before, but I think it's so special and powerful that the way that you had envisioned what your facial facial hair, what you wanted it to be in your drag persona is now like who part of who you are. And um, when it's just, it's so, it's just when we are given space and freedom and safety to explore and try different ways of being, we really do get to express those parts of us that we are, scared because society makes us scared yeah no it's it's so true and I also I want to circle back because it, it's something that I feel like I'm commonly giving this advice both like you know IRL and over the internet um which is kind of like people's anxiety to experiment in a public way with with for instance I have one of my closest friends in the world like uh absolutely adore them I won't put their name out there so that way they don't 
yeah, you know, get them all comfortable and stuff. Of course. Um, but yeah, one of my closest friends in the world um, just picked their new name. You know what I mean? And it was something where they were not certain if that was the name they were actually going to go with, but it was their first shot at one. And they were saying, they're like, oh, well, you know, I want to try it out, but what if I don't want to keep it? And then that's so embarrassing because then I'm going to have to tell people to like switch a name again. And I was just like, who gives a fuck? Like, but one, all the space in the world for the anxiety, because I'm someone where, again, I give a fuck. And if it's in my brain and it's keeping me from doing it, that matters. But at the same time, when I was letting them know is like, hey, there is nothing wrong with figuring out if something lights you. Like, I feel like sometimes with social things in terms of like, hey, can you try out a pronoun for me? Can you try out this name for me? I'm shopping around. And I think framing it that way, like shopping around, that is such a healthy thing to do. That's such a, that's such a wonderful way of figuring out what you, who you are exploring yourself, seeing if something feels right or not. Like, it's kind of like, for instance, like I I understand completely the amount of like, gravity or the amount of anxiety you might have tied to doing so but just to give it like a different type of way of thinking about it when you go into a store and you're shopping around and you go to the you know the dressing room and you're carrying 11 things and you come out with only one are you a bad shopper no you're a great shopper you found you made sure that you didn't buy 11 things that were not right for you that did not reflect who you are your brand your style whatever it is was not giving the look that it was meant to give and you came out with the one thing that actually fit you right you know what I mean that's the one thing that actually really made you feel like oh I need to buy this so I just I I really like I understand again the anxiety of having to try out something like new pronouns or names but I also heavily encourage it it's such a it's it's such a great way to just explore yourself like figuring out because there's so many things that I feel like if I had never like tried like for instance I love wearing mini skirts now at first like uh, it's something where online it looked like I wore those things out in public I didn't it was I wore them for social media and social media alone and that was it I did not feel confident enough to wear it out I did felt too much dysphoria that I would be read as a way that I wasn't to actually wear it outside but I was posting online because it was something that I was trying out and through you know posting it online and uh, again it's one of the privileges of having a social media following with people who are just like rooting for me on the sidelines and be like yeah we love mini skirts mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> um <laughs> You know, it was something where through that, I was like, oh, you know what? I actually, I do like this. And also it's great that other people are like encouraging me. But through that, I was able then to get the like, confidence to wear it out in public and I feel like that's also a disclaimer for like following people on social media in general it is not always an accurate view of what the person is like on a day-to-day basis it's very like my social media I would say is pretty uh, reflective of who I am as a person again certain things are private but things like how often I feel comfortable like again my username is King Femme but most of the times I'm wearing like you know baggy shorts and probably a crop top of some kind but you know, I'm wearing a snapback. I'm not looking maybe as hyper femme as my social media presence might paint me to be. But that's something where people might think like, oh, you have such amazing confidence because you could do that every single day. And it's like, no, it's not every single day. It's it's pretty, it's more frequently. It's pretty frequently, 100%. But it's not every day. I still am someone who has anxiety, who worries about if I look good, how people will like perceive me, if someone's gonna like say a slur to me, if I'm at risk and all of those anxieties that other people have it's just not the anxieties that sometimes people actually like talk about online which is a lot of why I posted my videos surrounding talking about being anxious to transition because it's something where I feel like as trans people we're so worried that people are going to doubt that we know what we want for ourselves Mm -hmm. that we feel like we need to be like oh yeah this is perfect. Everything's going great. I'm not feeling any side effects from tea that I want to discuss with somebody that I'm not completely loving. Because again, I love it in general, but there's some things that I might not love. Like again, like I fill in my hairline with makeup. It's also receding. That's not a side effect that I love. Doesn't mean that tea is wrong for me. I just don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I I made the choice. I When I started testosterone, my doctor also, also put me on finasteride, which was meant to try to uh, stop hair loss. But mm. what it was doing was it was blocking the testosterone enough where I was still menstruating. And so I was like, you know what, I'd rather be bald and never have a period than have a period in hair. <laughs> so like, and for me, that was my choice, right? So I don't <laughs> love the side effect of losing hair. Uh, but it's in the grand scheme, it is fine. It's fine. 
you know? Um, and yeah, it's just, uh, the, you know, this idea of like that we sh we have to know everything concretely always is such a fallacy and it's such a disservice to everybody, even if you're not part of the LGBTQ community, because I feel like people are like, well, I'm set in my ways and nothing can ever change. It's like, no, like you, you too can explore and change and grow and evolve. I hope you do. Um, I, when I started at Keshet, I used she, her pronouns and I had never met anybody else who'd used, who used they, them pronouns. And um, as I'm sure you're aware of, like in every meeting, I don't know if they still do this, but I'm assuming based on your reaction, they do this. They share their name and pronouns, location, and something else here or there. Um, but it was just part of the culture and part of the norm. And so that way, once I started, and I also went to my first Keshet Shabbaton, which is a weekend retreat uh, for LGBTQ youth, um, Jewish youth and allies, and seeing so many teenagers using all these different pronouns, I was like, holy shit, like, if they can do it, I can do it. And if my colleagues can do it, I can do it. And so I was able to practice, to try on other pronouns. So for a, a small chunk of time, like in my email signature, in my Zoom name, I had all of the pronouns. And then eventually I was like, okay, let's try they, he. Let's just try he. Let's just try they. And very quickly, because people were so – that because it was so part of the culture – people immediately, of course, mistakes would happen here and there, but would immediately embrace whatever pronoun I said was mine. And so I actually, and then I tried again a few years later, maybe I do want they, he pronouns. And my colleagues at Keshet just integrated it immediately. So much so that I was able to understand for myself that they, he pronouns didn't feel right for me. So I went back to they, them. And so like when we are able to, again, was like that, that idea of um, safety and capability of getting to explore um is so important to be able mm -hmm. to find find those moments of recognition of self of like oh yeah this actually is what i want for me this is what feels good um so yeah amen to that love it i <laughs> want to know why we, uh i want to say a them to that <laughs> yes i love that a them totally my friend and i would say a people <laughs> but people. but a them that. is also beautiful and i love that um i want to i just want to actually quickly circle back and then um about growing up modern orthodox and are you um and you said that your family loves and accepts you which is so nice to hear mm -hmm. um are you still and i know you said that you still are you know in touch with your judaism but are you still modern orthodox or do you is there another way that you approach judaism and um just curious like and your relationship with modern orthodoxy as a trans person and like in thinking specifically about the mechitza and like there's not a lot of wiggle room with mm -hmm. the mechitza um so yeah curious um yeah so for me personally um I, I don't I don't call myself modern Orthodox. Um, I I'm culturally Jewish. I'm very tied to my Jewish identity. I I work at a Jewish company, so it's all things that are very central to my self, my sense of self. But um, I definitely there I I don't I think that oh, there's a lot of important people who are doing a lot of important work within trying to get uh people from the Orthodox and modern Orthodox and ultra uh, yeah communities to kind of get into terms and try to make space but i don't feel comfortable navigating actually um one of my coming out stories that i also really resonate with was the first time i decided to wear a suit to synagogue um uh, I, at the time I was a Jewish, uh, day, or I was a Jewish, uh, like values. I was a teacher. I, I taught about the high holidays essentially to kids, um, at my temple. And this was something where I typically wore a dress every single time. And I hated it because the moment after they, cause again, I came out, I was 17. I was a teacher into my adulthood. Right. And it was something that I knew I was a trans person at the time. And I just resented this dress that I had to wear. And there was just one morning I this is actually Rosh Hashanah so Rosh Hashanah is this week so it's the anniversary of 
me publicly coming out to my like synagogue is something where I looked and I decided that enough was enough and I was not going to wear this dress. I could not wear it for a single moment. And instead I wore a suit that one of my brothers had given to me, which again, love you, Tali. He's mm. great. I, idol all of the fantastic stuff um and i was like you know what enough is enough i'm tired of playing the role of good jewish girl it's time to be the good jewish person that i actually am and with that i put on my suit i walked because i'm on uh shabbat um orthodox a lot of jews don't use technology of any kind which includes traveling so i'm walking and as i'm walking i'm just like having a heart attack like i literally i'm just like oh, this is going to go so badly. I I feel so uncomfortable. I'm like, what am I doing? Uh, again, I was lucky enough that my dad completely supported my choice in doing so, which again, I am so lucky to have the father that I do. Um, and it was something where, again, I'm just walking and I'm feeling panic and I'm feeling all the rejection. And when I walked in, it was pretty much like, Something where people were uncomfortable and they didn't say anything about it. They didn't mention the fact that I was wearing a suit, right? Um, and again, since I was a teacher, I didn't have to deal with the mechitza because I was just teaching my kids. So I didn't have to worry about being in uh, the services and stuff and having to figure out where I wanted to sit. Um, but it was something where, long story short, uh, after Rosh Hashanah, after arriving in a suit for the first time and wearing something that authentically represented who I was instead of playing a character, um, my rab- the rabbi of our synagogue actually went ahead and called my father, not me, even though I was a full adult and could handle a business call if needed, Mm -hmm. uh, especially with my boss. Um, And he said, as much as we love and support redacted name, um, they can only come if they wear a dress. And this was something that my dad told me. He's like, you know, they're not, they're not, not accepting you. They said that you can come. They just, you know, you have to understand and blah, blah, blah. This was a moment that I, we had a conversation. He's understood and we're on the same page now. But the thing is, they weren't telling me that I could come. I just had to wear a dress, right? That's not what it was. By telling me that I could not show up in a suit was meaning I could not show up as myself. I had to show up as the character who was not me. Um, and that actually would mark the, I think, last time that I would end up going to something that was had any type of strict rules or any binary or a mechitza, like a, a physical barrier separating the genders. That was my last straw, personally. And I commonly say, like, for instance, even within the drag I do, as being a drag king, not everyone's gonna, a lot of people just want to see drag queens. Uh, again, I, I could critique why that is, but I've always said that you do not have to beg for attention, love, or acceptance from the right people or the right audience. Hmm. And that just means that, like, I've had to shop around for other Jewish spaces. Again, Keshet has been in a fantastic fantastic place for me to do so but also my husband is someone who came from conservative judaism which is a different sect of judaism that doesn't have as many strict laws as the ones that i was raised with and i've been able to go to many services since then where i can just show up in the suit that i want to wear and nobody questions me for it so even though it does suck that i can't find you know a sense of belonging and psychological safety within the type of community that I was raised with, it doesn't mean that I'm excluded from any type of Jewish community. It just means I have to find folks who are like me or not like me and but are completely like just don't just make room for me, but just accept me as I am. And I'm even trying to plan out like a queer Rosh Hashanah this uh, this year. So it's it's a full circle moment every year. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um yeah, just those those moments of I don't think you use this word, but it's the word came up for me is like disappointment of, you know, a place where you grew up saying, you know, sure, we'll quote unquote accept you, but you have under these conditions. Mm-hmm. And like you're mentioning um, how how much more important it is to be in these unconditional spaces where it's like you can show up and be your true self, your yourself self um, and not have to compromise for anybody else. Um yeah, it is. Have you heard of Jewish queer youth, JQY? I have. I have. Yes, I'm in touch with them. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Um, they do a lot of um, important work in creating uh, safe safe spaces for Orthodox queer Jews. That's right. I, I actually did forget that that was their primary target audience. I Honestly, uh, there's a term in Hebrew called kolakavod, which means like just good job, good for you, continue the good work. Continue the good work, JQI. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so time flies, and I, I hate to, to do this, but I have to bring us into our last segment, um, which is a lightning round. It's meant to be fun and lighthearted. Um, I had to change. I, I was lovingly 
critiqued that my lightning round was too binary, so they are mostly open-ended questions. Um, but just feel uh, please answer as quickly as you can. You can pass. It's just for fun. Um, so, what is the name of your superhero alter ego? I think I'm just going with King. Oh, that's who I am, though. King Fem. Hmm. Um. Hmm. Super Twin. <laughs> I love that. Where is your favorite place to think? Um, in the shower. <laughs> Who is an influential queer person who has impacted your life? Um, a friend of mine who had passed, whose name is Nicholas Gogan. What is a song that you can listen to on repeat forever? Um, I go through cycles of that right now. Um, it's Are You That Somebody by Aaliyah. <laughs> Ooh, nice. <laughs> um, I'm still figuring out the wording of this, but a lot of states have proposed or passed don't say gay bills. So how do you specifically say gay? Um, I say gay by allowing my appearance to come out for me and my appearance comes out as the fruitiest little twink you've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> A them. Um, where do you find joy? Um, I find joy with uh, my community, my friends. A hundred percent. They light the fire that is the person that I am. Oh, that's so special. All right. There was one binary question I could not get rid of, which is bagels or donuts? <laughs> bagels or donuts? Uh, donuts for sure. Oh, interesting. Because bagels is the right answer. Just kidding. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just am slightly biased towards bagels. Um, Sage, this has been so lovely, so incredible. Thank you so much for coming here and for sharing so much of yourself. Uh, thank you for coming out. Oh, I thank you. Thank you for coming out. Oh, anytime. Thank you for coming out.